The reading is taken from Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. As you have, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Thank you so much, Tian. Uh, it's great to be with you tonight. My name's Tom. Uh, I'm one of the, the leadership team at St. All Eights. And tonight I want to look at this passage that Tian's read to us and to explore how we can find, remain, sustain ourselves and work in and through the love, grace, mercy and kindness of Jesus, regardless of uh, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in whether those are the kind of extraordinary uh, circumstances that Steve and Karis have been speaking about, uh, whether you're facing burnout, whether you're facing unemployment at the moment. I'm going to be thinking tonight about work. But when I talk about work, what I mean by that is whatever your front line is, be that, uh, that you're a carer or a parent or you're in employment or not in employment, whatever it, whatever it is that your, your work looks like, uh, that's what we're thinking about tonight as we apply this passage. Um, and I'm going to try and uh, think about that in, in this passage tonight. But let me just pray as I start. Father, I pray that as we open your word together, you would speak and that uh, you would provide food for us. We know that your word uh, is a living word. And so we pray tonight that you speak. Amen. Okay, we're going to dive uh, straight into the passage and then we'll draw out some applications. So starting at verses one to four, we have a really clear summary of our previous sinful condition. You were dead. That's a pretty finite and inescapable description. And Paul goes on in verse three to include himself in that group. He says, all of us. So Paul's saying, we, we were dead in our sin. He lays out three arenas of sinfulness in our lives, the flesh, the world, and the devil, and says we were all children of wrath. But then comes this pivot in verse four, what John Stock calls two mighty syllables, but God. These two words uh, mark the intervention of God in human history to bring us back to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
There are four key characteristics of God and his action that Paul identifies in these, these verses. But God, because of his great love for us, that's the first one, being rich in mercy by grace in kindness saves us. What an amazing God that we have. If we go back again through these verses, we see how God, how God saves us. Firstly, God, because of his love, even though we were dead, in mercy made us alive together with Christ. What's important to notice here is that he does it without us having done anything for him. Paul explains this in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We haven't done anything to deserve it. It's the free gift of grace in and through Jesus. What a beautiful thing that is. But not only does he save, from, save us from death, as we sung earlier, he makes us alive with Christ. He raises us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly realms in verse 6. I've been raised with Christ. So secondly, in doing this, or rather in this happening to us, we're following the pattern of Jesus, who died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. John Stott says, what excites our amazement is that Paul is not writing about Christ, but about us, affirming not that God quickened, raised, and seated Christ, but that he quickened raised and seated us with Christ. What an incredible thing that is. Thirdly, God sustains us. In verse 7 we find, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is not just a, a one-time act, but a continual pouring out of God's loving kindness to us. Fourthly, and this is where I want to go on to draw some conclusions, he involves us in his work because we are his workmanship. He's prepared work for us to do, to work with him and for him. We are his handiwork and he has work for us to do. We need to uh, notice something here. We don't work for God's saving grace. He's already given it to us. He saved us. He gave it to us when we were still dead. We don't work for his love. He's already raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. We don't work for his sustaining. He's rescued us in part so that he can sustain us. Our work comes after all of this. It's because of his love. It's a result of his grace. It's through his sustaining that he then involves us in his work with him. So if this is the case, how is it that we end up in a place of striving? As a slightly um, trivial kind of observation, I found that for me in the first kind of couple of weeks of lockdown, where there was a very present danger of COVID, it really kind of sharpened me. And I found that I was uh, really focused in my time with God and um, in, my, in my eating, my exercising. 
And then as soon as things started to get slightly uh, more relaxed in terms of the regulations, I found actually that, and the, the sort of present danger of COVID seemed to recede a little bit, I found I slipped back into to rhythms of kind of getting stuck in my work and finding my achievement there. So if it's the case that our work comes out of a place of being accepted by God, how is it that we end up in this place of striving? Simon, when he spoke on uh, Ephesians 3 a few weeks ago, noted that most of the New Testament letters are written to churches in trouble, but there's no obvious trouble at Ephesus. On the face of it, this is a productive, healthy, fruitful church, but Simon suggested that perhaps the underlying problem in Ephesus is that they have forgotten the love of God. In Revelation, uh, John writes to this church, you've persevered, but you've forgotten your first love. Oxford is a, a high achieving city. People come here to get letters after their names to do big things. And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. To give one example, in the last few weeks, we've seen amazing things come out of the Jenner Institute as they pursue a coronavirus vaccine, and we praise God for that. But as a church, I think we have to make sure that we don't get caught up in the spirit of our city of academia, of competence. Yes, we've been rescued from our sinful state, but I think we can get sucked into a, a doing, achieving, productive culture that finds its fuel, its nexus in achievement. I think this passage offers us a corrective to that. Here's what I think can happen to us. We seek to achieve, uh, so we're starting at the top there. We seek to achieve in order to gain a sense of identity. Our sense of identity is fueled by that achievement. And so we become driven to do more and to achieve more, which results in a sense of acceptance. But it's temporary and fleeting, it fades. It only takes one failure to knock us off our pedestal. And we have to start all over again by achieving more, to bolster our identity, to feel accepted. Here's how I think Jesus would have us do it, drawn from this passage from Ephesians. Our acceptance comes from the fact that we are already loved by God. Before we've done anything, we're his adopted children. We've done nothing to deserve it. Our identity comes from the fact that he seated us with Jesus. We're co-heirs with him. God sustains us in and through his loving kindness. And out of that place, we work with him. As his adopted children, as royal co-heirs with Christ, sustained in and through the love of God. So that's the theory. What does it look like in practice? Well, if you're working, whether that's in paid employment or you're a carer or a parent, don't let it become your identity. Don't let it fuel you because if you are what you do, who will you be when you're forced to stop doing that? And if you just keep doing what you're doing in your own strength, you're on a fast track to burnout. Instead, find your identity in Jesus and work with him. Find your acceptance, your significance and sustenance in him. If you're not working either because you're unemployed, whether because of coronavirus or any other reason, that is not your identity. Your identity is that you're a beloved, royal child of God. 
You don't have to do anything to earn his love. It's already yours. I know it sounds trite, but find your identity in him. And as and when you find work, you'll be in a more sustainable place. If you can't work for whatever reason, God still loves you. And he's prepared works for you to do, even if those don't look like conventional employment, even if they can't look like conventional employment. And if tonight you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, all this is here for you. Come and find your acceptance in him. Just to tell you um, one quick personal story before I finish. Um, Apologies for what you're about to see. Um, This time last year, I was on a pretty big uh, achievement high. I'd not long cycled across Germany. I was loving my job. And then out of nowhere, through no fault of my own, my heart stopped. Um, Believe it or not, I know that I'm smiling like a a numpty in that photo. But uh, at that point, my heart was beating at 30 beats a minute. It had stopped for about 20 seconds just prior to that. I was in a really um, serious condition. And for five days in hospital and for months afterward, I could achieve very little. And I learned so much in that time. I felt deeply loved by God even as I sobbed myself to sleep in a hospital bed. I felt him raising me up. I knew his sustaining power. I'd been forced to stop doing what I did. And as I began to work again, I felt that sense of working in an unforced rhythm of grace with Jesus. But I forgot so easily. I so quickly fell back into a pattern of fueling myself through work and achievement and finding my significance in that. Um, As I preach tonight, it's the last thing I do before I go on holiday for almost a month. And my top priority, if I'm completely honest, uh, is to find myself back in that place, knowing the accepting, sustaining love, mercy, grace and kindness of God. So I can work again out of that place. I'm preaching to myself tonight as much as I am to anyone else. I'll leave you uh, with this. This is the invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, as communicated by Eugene Peterson in the message version. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The unforced rhythms of grace. What a beautiful thing that is. Tonight, I invite and encourage you to find your acceptance your identity, and your sustaining in the love, mercy, and grace and kindness of God, who has adopted you and raised you to be with Jesus and to work with him out of that place. Amen.